on this episode. You know when Bob Hope used to go on The Tonight Show and surprise Johnny? Right. Yeah, it wasn't a surprise. <laughs> and Johnny didn't always like it. Really? Because he, Johnny had a pace of how to do the show. There was a flow to it. From the coveted corner booth in a little bar in the center of the Coachella Valley universe, welcome to another Big Conversation with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversation's Little Bar, taped live at Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California. We call it the center of the Coachella Valley universe. We're delighted to have you along with us. My name is Patrick Evans, and my able co-host, Mr. Randy Florence, is you've shown up once again despite the low level of pay. I can't figure out how to leave. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the, the door, I can't figure if it's push or pull, so I'm just going to sit here and do this podcast with you. Does it have anything to do with the bourbon and sevens they've been steadily feeding you? Not a single thing. Since you arrived with at 11 this morning? No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. We're going to be sitting here with you. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. I am really delighted. Uh, we have Shelly Herman here, and Shelly was a guest on Eye on the Desert. Uh, I found out about Shelly because she has written a fantastic book uh, called My Peacock Tale, and it's all about your years as a page at NBC. That's right. I was there in NBC Burbank. Uh, I started June 21st, 1976, the longest day. So that's how I can remember Thank it. goodness that you brought a copy of the book because I failed to do that. Well, this way you can look at all the pictures. That's right. <laughs> and even though there's some naughty passages in the book, there are no naughty pictures. Oh, well, that's what we want to know about that. It's <laughs> no, my peacock those are the tale, first stories. <laughs> Secrets of an NBC page. And you worked... Uh, with with Johnny Carson on the Tonight Show, and that's on the cover. And I mean, he was a hero of mine. You have you have a number of great stories over uh, from your years there. Oh yeah, I mean the the picture on the on, on the cover of the book is um, when I was doing a segment called Stump the Band. Uh, sometimes if a guest didn't show up on time, because Johnny would tape every day at five thirty. And he was done, when the show was 90 minutes, he'd be done at 7, he'd be out the door. So even if somebody was stuck in traffic, he wasn't going to wait for them. So if they didn't show up, we would do a Stump the Band segment, where some of your listeners might remember, if somebody in the audience had a silly song, Johnny and Doc and Ed would try to guess it. If not, then the page would give them an envelope, hence the picture on the cover. There you are with the envelope. And it's really funny because um, all of the pages would conspire to make sure that we could get ourselves seen on camera. <laughs> it wasn't because they didn't have videotape back then. Or, or, so it would be like, you know, point this way, go this way, move that way. And I got permission from the Johnny Carson estate to not only use that picture, but I have a personal letter that Johnny sent one of the pages thanking the page for actually jumping into a dumpster and rescuing a bunch of pictures. <laughs> and, and Johnny framed them and put them in the hallway leading up to his office. Oh, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I love this picture because Carson's just in, in mid-laugh and, I mean, it's just... It, it, this picture just warms my heart. I, I, I love Johnny Carson. That's the essence of Johnny right it there. truly is. So what was it... T talk about the first night working on The Tonight Show. What was that like? Well, um... I, uh, that, you didn't get to work on Johnny's show the first day. <laughs> Actually, the first, the first job I did work on was with a mutual friend of Patrick's, was uh, Hollywood Square starring Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall. And Peter was hosting back then. That was the first show that I did. And uh, I saw this little teeny-weeny lady carrying this heavy garment bag. And I thought, oh, I'll leave her of that. And she walked into the dressing room, and I saw on the 
name on the door, it said Janet Lee. And I didn't recognize her. But after she came out of her dressing room, when the hair done and the makeup done and the nice outfit, she was Janet Lee. Wow. Uh, but then once, once I guess they figured out we weren't a threat to anyone, they let us work on The Tonight Show. Mm. And uh, <laughs> I want to go back to Hollywood's Chris for me. So you were working on that. How long, did, how long were you doing that show? Well, as a page, you're only allowed to work 18 months at NBC because while it's an entry-level job, it's also a management training program. So you're supposed to run around, meet as many people as you can, and try to get that next level up within the company. So um, I was there. I, actually, I was there almost two years because I broke my leg during part of the time I was there. So that didn't count against me okay. for working there. Uh, and that worked out. I'll have a Tonight Show story with that, too, because... I broke my leg. I thought, that's it. You know, break a leg supposed to be like... <laughs> break a leg. Good luck. That's the great <laughs> theater expression. <laughs> Good luck, you know? So every summer, I would go to the Greek theater to see Harry Chapin, who is my idol. And I couldn't go with the broken leg. And one of my page pals, George Glovna, he said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. He got us front row seats at the Greek theater. And so being in a leg cast, I put my leg up... <laughs> on the orchestra area where there was a, a big brass barrier there and watched Harry and it was just a wonderful evening and the next night Harry was on The Tonight Show and I called George I said oh quick we gotta tell Harry that we saw a show last night and we went backstage afterward and before I could even say hello Harry looked at my leg and said you were at my show last <laughs> night <laughs> so that's the kind of access we had because wow. it was just kind of like a neighborhood of studios where you could just drop in and say hi to people and and just you know especially wearing a uniform because people thought like oh we're official so we could go anywhere well you were official i mean that's pretty official yeah it was real fun and then as far as going working on the tonight show i might have been at several hundred tonight shows i saw very few because my job was to keep my back to the show and kind of keep my eyes out in the audience mm. looking for people who might try to rush the stage or throw something or hecklers so we could toss them out. Ever happen? Uh, it happened a couple times and actually there's a story in the book My Peacock Tale uh, <laughs> detailing how during a commercial break somebody did rush the stage but they just wanted to shake Johnny's hand they didn't want to hurt him in any way but one of the stage managers tackled him and then a couple other people piled on him to, uh, to get him out of there. And the, the stage manager, Kevin Quinn, who was Bobby Quinn's son, the director, he said, these were a new pair of Gucci loafers. I was sliding all over the place. I'm not going to wear these here again. But uh, yeah, we saw everybody. We got to do everything. It was, as Brandon Tartikoff said, the last great ride. So you're on the set of The Tonight Show. How did a girl from Philly get there? Well, I was fortunate that I lived in an area, Agora, California. Went to Agora High School. It was a very rural area at the time. And one of my classmates got tickets for us to see the Midnight Special, which was a late-night rock concert yeah. show. So, you know, we put on our little hippie clothes and sat on the floor with a pillow. Is that Don Kirchner? Yeah. No, Don Kirchner was rock concert. Oh, that's it. This yeah. is Burt Sugarman. Burt Sugarman. The guy that's always sitting yeah. behind home plate at Dodger, yeah. on the Dodger games. It's Mary to Mary Hart. Mary Hart's, uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. You win and the trip. Bert and Mary game. live out here. Oh, they have a place out here too? Oh, they live in Bighorn, yeah. Oh, nice. nice. And well, Mary is all, uh, 
has always been the MC of the Palm Springs International F- Festival. Well, she's fantastic. I don't know him, but I knew her. She was very, very nice. Not very good taste in baseball teams, but I, I love her as <laughs> you'll, an entertainer. You'll forgive her for that? I'll forgive her for that. <laughs> So we, so we went to Midnight Special, and I remember who we saw. It was Gladys Knight and the Pips, B.B. King, and Jim Croce. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty good show. And I just it's recently found, I, I got a little still store of a little picture I took off the internet, because I specifically remember wearing a big white hat saying, I'm going to see myself in the audience when this show is on. And I have this big white floppy hat that I was wearing. And sure enough, I was there. It was in 1972 that we did that. So when I went there, I noticed that there were these people wearing these ugly polyester outfits standing around doing nothing, and they got to listen to rock and roll music as part of their job. And I thought, well, I volunteered once at the Valley Music Theater. I'm (laughs) capable of becoming an NBC page. I'm experienced. I have something for my resume. And uh, I didn't realize that what they now require... out of people they want you at least have a bachelor of arts or bachelor of science degree you have to do a two-minute video as your audition fill out a whole bunch of paperwork and then if you're lucky enough to get selected to be interviewed and this is what's really cool about NBC they'll fly the candidate out either to Los Angeles or to New York because they know some people can't afford to come into town just to do an interview so they'll put them up for a couple days on on their dime so I really like that and then the next question you were going to ask was, who have been NBC pages who've gone on to success? Yes. Who have been NBC pages who've gone on well, to success? Well, hang on. Before you ask that, I wanted to find out mm-hmm. who've been NBC pages that have gone on to success. Are you guys interested at all of knowing who went on to success as a Have page there been any pages <laughs> at NBC who might have gone on? Uh, let me see. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I well, mean, uh, by the way, aside Shelley, from Herman. you. Oh, yeah, well, it doesn't matter after that. (laughs) (laughs) The list is so insignificant. Well, again, your pal Peter Marshall was the youngest NBC page. Really? His sister, Joanne Drew, was already a movie star and got him in. He was 15 years old. And at the time, they called them page boys. And they were giving tours of 30 Rock. Uh, So the fact that he started as a page and went on to host an NBC show is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, So did another guy named Chuck Barris. Wow. Yeah, Chuck Barris. And then there's another... Your idol. You were going to do the gong show at one point, weren't you? Your hair looks much more like Chuck Barris's hair (laughs) than mine does. Hey, I have a friend of mine who's got a book coming out pretty soon called Gong This Book, and it's it's all the backstage secrets. Of the, of the gong show. It's a guy named Adam Needham. And if you look in my book, you'll see there's a picture of me with Chuck Bear, several pictures. I adored Chuck. Uh, because he was a page, I was a page. We were both from Philly. His daughter, Della, looked a lot like me when I was a kid. So we, he was kind of like a big brother to me. I really, really liked Chuck. Uh, Hugh Downs was a page. Wow. No way. Regis Philbin was a page. I love Regis Philbin. I miss him. Grant Tinker. And, and a contemporary in this era is um, a, an actress named Aubrey Plaza, who yeah. it was on White Lotus and uh, Parks and Recreation. So uh, there's a lot of us out there. Was, was this considered a way to get into the television business, was through this type of position? Ideally, they wanted people that would become executives. But as the, the numbers of us grew, at one point in the summer, 
of, uh, of 76 when I started, there were 101 pages that were on staff. So obviously not everybody could get a job within 18 months to be, you know, the next Fred Silverman. Uh, so some people went into the technical aspect of it. Some went into news, press and publicity. So, yeah, it was a great way to get the door open to get on with your career. And at the same time, it could also be like, oh, <laughs> I hate showbiz. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> there, there Glad that's that over. <laughs> so talk a little bit about your experiences, like some of the guests that you interacted with over the years uh, in that short time that you were working on The Tonight Show as a page. Well, um, I'll tell you, one of the, the people that became a friend uh, was Andy Kaufman. Really? And Andy was around the studio a lot doing The Tonight Show. Uh, there was a variety show called Van Dyke and Company that he did, that Dick Van Dyke, uh, he was on Midnight Special quite often. Mm -hmm. And um, my friend Andy, and we'd sit in the commissary and we'd chat with one another, um, he recruited me to actually do something kind of silly at the Improv Comedy Club. Andy Kaufman to do something silly? That's well, shocking. That. <laughs> well, you know, my friend Andy came up with this idea, and he said, you'll wear a wig, and you'll go up on stage with me, and I'll say, you know, showbiz isn't anything you can count on, so I'm going to barber college. And he proceeded to hack away at the wig, and then I would get upset, and then somebody in the audience would go like, you know, hey, leave that little girl alone, and then he'd pick a fight with them. And then I would run off stage, and then Andy would engage the person in the audience. Well, when the whole thing was over, we were outside on the sidewalk, and Andy is jumping up and down, like squealing like a little girl. And I'm like, what's the deal? He goes, oh, that was great, it was perfect, it was wonderful. And I'm like, I don't get it. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, and, and besides, I'm going to college, I'm working, I, I need sleep, and I wasn't getting paid for this, and I just didn't go on with that. And it was kind of the precursor to his wrestling shtick yep. that he later developed. And then also my friend Andy told me that he was hired to do a sitcom. And he really didn't want to do it because he was a performance artist and he didn't want to have to say somebody else's words. He wanted to be his own person. And he said, it's a really horrible show. Don't watch it. And that show was Taxi. Taxi. And this guy sitting over here in the blue shirt, my husband. Also Randy. Also Randall Carver, Randy was on Taxi the first season playing John Burns. So I didn't watch Taxi when it was first on. I, love I that had to show. catch it in reruns. <laughs> Just to see your husband. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I, I, there were a lot of people that we befriended. And uh, some. I remember I was in the hallway once at, at Hollywood Squares, and Vincent Price was in the hallway. <laughs> And uh, he just uh, scared the bejesus out of me <laughs> when he was playing Captain Hook at this theater where I was a volunteer. So I went over to him and I said, by the way, I saw you play Captain Hook at the Valley Music Theater and you just, you know, scared me. And he goes, good, I was doing my job. <laughs> so it was fabulous to be able to see some of your, your heroes and some of your idols and in such a relaxed atmosphere that way. You know, I, I got to ask, were you at the squares when Paul Lind was there? Oh, yeah. I, I went through about a month ago, almost an entire weekend of just watching YouTube videos of Paul Lind on the Hollywood squares. He was one of the funniest human beings alive. Yeah. And his, I mean, the stuff he said then you couldn't get away with on TV anymore. No, and there's, there's a friend of mine, um, 
of Phil, who has, he was one of the writers on the show. Now, they would come up with some of the joke answers, but the celebrities, if they had a better line, they would use it themselves. And we're getting Paul Lynn's joke file. It's going to be donated to a museum that I'm helping to curate in Rochester, New York, of all places, uh, at the Strong Museum of Play. They are building the National Game Show Archive. It's going to be a 5,000 square foot facility within this marvelous museum. And it's going to house different props, different papers, different lights, different shiny floors of everything you've seen on game shows almost since the inception. We've got things from What's My Line. There's things from Wheel of Fortune, the original Jeopardy. I've donated a lot of my memorabilia because part of my wicked past is is working on game shows well, also. And let's talk about that. We'll revisit the page years, but talk about how your work at NBC kind of propelled you into the world of game shows and, and talk about some of the shows that you worked on over the years. And you ended up with a daytime Emmy nomination as a result. I sure did. Well, part of that was in 1972 when I was in high school, I was on the dating game. I did the show twice. I picked the guy both times. And that's how I kind of got to meet the people with the, in the Chuck Barris organization. And they would have me come in and do little game show run-throughs as they were testing how to, you know, possibly sell a show to somebody. And we, they wanted our criticism, like, you know, oh, this is too corny, this is too easy, or how about if it was three people instead of two, you know, whatever it took. So that when Chuck was over doing the gong show at NBC, we were already, you know, a bit of a family at that point. So I kind of learned the bones of that. And at the time, girls weren't doing that job. It was, it was pretty much a boys club, especially with the joke writing. And because of that, getting in with them and then meeting the people at NBC, um, working with Jeff Edwards, who lived out here in the desert at one point, uh, Mark Maxwell Smith, uh, Ralph Andrews, Ralph Edwards, Goodson Todman. Eventually, uh, somebody didn't show up for work one day, and I got to start writing questions. <laughs> and, and that's kind of how a lot of my career has been. Uh, the way I got the Emmy nomination was I was a script typist, and I had lied my pants off to get this job <laughs> because I had a crush on somebody working on the show. And I just thought, well, maybe if he sees me, he'll want to marry me and I'll live happily ever after. <laughs> but I'm going to lie and say I know how to use a K-Pro computer. And um, sure enough, uh, I got in. That wasn't Tom Snyder, was it? No. No, right. no, no. Nobody had a crush on Tom Snyder. <laughs> no, no, this wasn't an NBC. This was after I left there. And uh, I noticed that no one had been assigned to work on a script for the Thanksgiving show. So I went to the producers and I said, hey, you're going to be coming up a day short on this because we were going to do a pre-tape. And I said, can I take a crack at writing the script? Because I knew the script better than anybody else as the script typist. And they were like, sure, because I would do it for free. <laughs> and I found out if you work for free, you can work all the time in this town. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I wrote the script. They were happy with it. And then when one of the writers had a hissy fit and they fired him and they brought me in and that's how I got to be a writer. And I got my writer skill card. Right place, right time again. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So what were some of the shows that you wrote for? Oh, well, game show wise, the one that people know the most is Supermarket Sweep. 
Where that was we, such a fun people show. People ran around with <laughs> the, the, golf, uh, the carts. With the, with the shopping carts, <laughs> yeah. That was the, the my favorite that I did because I like the idea of doing a game show when there isn't a lot at stake. When people can win a little bit of like happily ever after money, but not. But if they don't, if they don't win, it's okay. Like yeah, they're not going to slit their wrists when they go home. Yeah. So I, I like it when they have a good story to tell their families afterward or their grandchildren or something like that. Um, okay. I, 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 can, I can remember sitting at home developing our own strategies like when the bell goes off what are you going to go to first oh i'm heading to the frozen turkeys you know i'm just going to stuff the cart with turkeys you want you want some inside information about, about the poultry on the show uh-huh okay <laughs> when al howard first started the show back in the late 60s it uh, was interesting because it was women in the high heels and the pearls and the little black dresses answering the questions but the men ran around because it was undignified for the ladies to run around a real supermarket well at nbc we built a real supermarket within the sound stages and the only thing that wasn't real were the the poultry the meat those kind of things because when they did the show originally they found that if people were taking the steaks and the chickens out that it would start to leak on their clothes (laughs) and it would start to get real smelly so <laughs> they all ended up with salmonella from being exactly. on the show. <laughs> so so Al Howard came up with the idea. He had some molds made down in Mexico that looked like thighs and wings and sirloins <laughs> and roasts and hams. And so we would just reuse those over and over wow. again. So, so people wouldn't get all ooky from it. We got an official inside supermarket sweepstakes story there. Nobody's heard that I before. I knew somehow we would. I knew somehow we would today. <laughs> Felt like that was bound to happen. You, you feel like you could win a good bar bet now with that information <laughs> who was the host of that show david ruprecht uh was the host for a long time and then they tried to revise the show and uh leslie jones did it uh and uh it wasn't um nearly as um i remembered it to be yeah. <laughs> is that the polite way of phrasing that it? was a very polite way of very saying very nice it. way of saying yeah. it, yes uh i want to go back to the tonight show years because you have so many great stories in my peacock tale, um, some really amazing guests that you crossed paths with while you were, were doing that. Tell us a couple of those stories. Well, I mean, there's people that I got to see there that I could never afford to see in concert. And then, like, hearing, like, oh, I'll just sit, because after two o'clock, you could sit in at the rehearsal and you to see like Luciano Pavarotti in his <sighs> jeans, you know, <laughs> and just warming up a little bit, having those kind of moments. Um, there was a time when uh, Della Reese was singing and she had a stroke, Ooh. and uh, that show never made it to air. But I was there when she ha- when that happened. Um, gosh, um, this is another another inside fact. You know when Bob Hope used to go on The Tonight Show and surprise Johnny? Right. Yeah, it wasn't a surprise. (laughs) And Johnny didn't always like it. Really? Because Johnny had a pace of how to do the show. There was a flow to it. And all of a sudden, if Bob showed up, you know, it kind of threw him off. But if you were lucky enough to be in the audience that night, somebody would come out and say, hey, everybody, if you want to stick around for another 15 minutes, Bob Hope is going to do the monologue for his special. And so they would take away the peacock curtain, put a you know a neutral background behind it, and Bob would like the size of this table, just a huge sized cue card, 
and there would be stacks and stacks of them. I mean, you could read his <laughs> you could read his jokes from the space shuttle, <laughs> and he would he would rattle off about twenty minutes worth of jokes. And then they would take some shots of the audience so that they could intercut, you know, away from the jokes that didn't work so well. <laughs> but he would just, you know, I got to tell you, folks. And da 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 his, his uh, limo driver had a Polaroid and said, uh, would you mind taking a picture of Jimmy Stewart and me together? And I, I certainly did. You know, we didn't have iPhones and things back then, so having a picture was pretty rare. So Jimmy Stewart says to the limo driver, oh, why don't you let me take a picture with the little lady? <laughs> and so it was Jimmy Stewart's idea to take this Polaroid picture, which is in the book. And about three or four hours after that picture was taken... I got rushed to the hospital because little Miss Type A personality who was overworked and didn't sleep enough and didn't eat right wound up with mononucleosis, Uh -uh. which turned into hepatitis, which turned into an emergency room trip. And as they're wheeling me into my room, I'm yelling, somebody tell Jimmy Stewart I'm in the hospital. I don't want to be the person who kills Jimmy Stewart. So how did Jimmy die? (laughs) There's yeah. Jimmy. That's amazing. And on uh, the same page with Peter Marshall. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was when I was with Peter when we were at the um, screening of Wait for Your Laugh, the Rosemary documentary that he narrated that was so marvelous. If you haven't seen it, I think it's on Netflix or Amazon now. Oh, it's wonderful. Did you ever go back? Did you get to spend some time at all with Johnny after you were a page? No, I didn't. But several people on the staff that several people went that went to work on the staff. In fact, one of the pages, uh, a woman who lived here in the desert for a while, Debbie Vickers, actually became. She went from doing Johnny's show, working with Peter Lasalle as as his assistant, to becoming an executive producer. And she went on to work also on the Jay Leno version of yeah. the Tonight Show. Yeah. So um, we and I knew I knew Johnny's son for a while too, Corey. So I, I knew about him, but once Johnny left the building, he pretty well left the building. Yeah. yeah. He was not uh, warm and friendly, I heard, Mr. Carson. Well. Like, he wasn't a really a party guy. Uh, maybe he partied too much, and that's why he did <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, he had, he had to had stop. To, he had to be careful. But I'll tell you, if, we, if, if you were lucky enough to get the one o'clock tour at NBC... Um, I would always position my my tourists right at the artist entrance when Johnny was arriving. And he would be like in his normal clothes. He wouldn't be with a suit and tie. And, you know, they got to see, you know, ooh, you know, it's like seeing your school teacher in the supermarket. <laughs> like, this doesn't look quite right. <laughs> and uh, he would usually say something like, uh, the, the tour is a ripoff. Ask for your money back. And, you know, everybody would just love hearing that kind of thing. Uh, but... Johnny, you know, most people think, oh, he worked an hour a night. No, you can look at all the money he got. But when I think now of what it took for him to do that job, he would be up at 6 o'clock every morning, and he would read several newspapers because there wasn't the Internet. And, you know, we, local news, there wasn't CNN to get news from. He would send in suggested topics for his writers to cover. He would be writing jokes. And then he'd get in his car from the Malibu area, 
Uh, he'd leave like around 1230-ish, get to the studio by 150, is usually when he arrived, go upstairs. He would get all of the jokes that everybody had written, and usually be about 60 jokes that he'd have to choose from. And he would start laying them out and figuring out which is which and what goes where and how to do it. And then maybe there'd be a Mighty Carson Art Player sketch that he had to go downstairs and rehearse. You know, where he's Art Fern or Karnak or something like that. Uh, Art Fern is, was, well, Art Fern and Floyd Art Turbo. Well, we <laughs> talked about Floyd the other night. Uh-huh. Well, you were wearing, wearing Floyd's hat. hat. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> Floyd comes on. I'm going to stop beating around my bush. <laughs> 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 well, and, and, and with the, with the tea time matinee, get to the Slauson cutoff. So the cut off your Slauson. <laughs> you come to the Slauson cutoff. Get out of your car. Cut off no, your Slauson. Get back in your car and go another seven miles. <laughs> when the first time I came to Los Angeles and I was moving to Orange County and. I've flown into LAX and I'm driving down the 405 and I pass Lost and I said, oh my God, it's real. <laughs> it's real. This is the greatest thing ever. Yes, Virginia, there is a Slauson <laughs> cutoff. There is. <laughs> so does this path still exist? Could somebody become a page at NBC and ultimately end up directing a network show? Well, the NBC page program on the West Coast got absorbed by Universal Studios in their many different mergers that took place. And 3000 West Alameda is now owned by Warner Brothers. So that element doesn't exist. They still have about a dozen candidates that go through the PAGE program here on the West Coast. But in New York, at 30 Rock, they still have the full-blown PAGE program where they're giving the tours, they're ushering the shows, they've got Saturday Night Live back there, Seth Meyer, Jimmy Fallon, uh, and some of the news operations, some of the pages work there. So they still have what I would think is a better opportunity because the ones out here, what they do is they rotate different positions like you might work for Bravo for three months or USA or the press department, but you, you can't schmooze with people yeah. the way we got to. You know, the show um, 30 Rock had a couple of good page um, what am I trying to say? Kenneth. Characters. It's Kenneth. Kenneth in that show. Um, and so I get a, I kind of get a little bit of a sense for how that page could move in and out of everything that was going on at the network on a daily basis. What was the weirdest thing anybody ever asked you to do? Is this a family show? No. No. <laughs> no, we've had, we've, had, no, we've had some not safe okay. for work. Well, I'll, I'll say it wasn't weird to me, but weird to some of the people I worked with was Cosby. Yeah, we go have. ahead. Um, I really got upset because it seemed like only the male pages got to work on the Tonight Show when Bill Cosby was hosting. Hmm. So I balled up my little feminist fists and I marched into <laughs> my supervisor's office and I said, "It's not fair that the boys just get to work there and not the girls." And she said, "Well, that was the request that came down from Mr. Cosby. We have to honor that." Well, it turns out Eva Hawkins, who was our supervisor. She was protecting the women because... Wow. She knew. She knew. And this is in the mid-70s. Wow. And my friend Cindy, who's uh, in the book, too, she talks about if she was in the hallway and she would, you know, stand back so he would walk by and he'd, like, purposely press himself against her as he walked through the hallways. Um, it got to be where none of the pages would interact with Bill Cosby so people from the Tonight Show would have to make sure that his dressing room was prepped and if he needed anything, you know, to, to be the go-between. Wow. And that was and, in the 70s. Yeah. Wow. And so what happened is the girls working on the Tonight Show started complaining. 
So then they started sending like the guys from the mailroom down. But yeah, there was already a problem back then. People covered up for Mr. Guy for a long time. Yeah. I mean, because like. That probably happened in TV a lot back in the day with big stars who were getting into trouble. Well, I had a few little incidences too that happened. I mean, there's a. A story I detail, and it's much funnier in the book. If I try, <laughs> if I try to tell it now, it sounds a little bit desperate. But um, I... It's okay. Randy and I sound desperate on this podcast all the time. The fact that you're on our podcast does not mean you're desperate. That's right. Go ahead. No, no okay. <laughs> uh, I had befriended McLean Stevenson. He was Colonel Blake on... Yes, Nash. yes, of course. And I just... There's a picture of you and him and some of the pages. Uh, yes. Yeah. And... Um, I would sit in and watch him rehearse a sitcom that he was doing at the time called the McLean Stevenson Show. It was before Hello Larry. Was that the one? Oh, Hello Larry is yeah. the one that lasted like three episodes. Three episodes. Yeah, this lasted yeah. one and a half episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea of the show was it was shot in front of a live audience, sitcom style. And I was like being like, like, I'm going to be a writer when I grow up, so I'm going to observe what the show is, maybe do a, a spec script, uh, remember to thank McLean Stevenson in my Emmy speech when I win for this fabulous sitcom script. I'm going to, so I, and I, I wrote down story ideas, and I, I, I had them in my pocket. So sure enough, the right opportunity presented itself. McLean asked that I come up to his office and went up there, you know, you know, giggles, have fun, stuff like that. And then he had one of those buttons under the desk. And the door closed. Well, a sophisticated person would have found a way out to just say, please open the door and let me out. Well, I start laughing. And he's like, what are you laughing about? And I said, well, (laughs) this is what would happen in a Doris Day movie. You were on the Doris Day show. And you're a masher. And you were on MASH. and (laughs) And then he jumped me. And He actually physically jumped you? Yeah, on a couch. Yeah. And... I was scared. And all I could think about is I have to do something or say something to scare him more than he's scaring me. Because who's going to believe a perky little page over TV's McLean Stevenson if I complain about something? Mm -hmm. So um, I looked at him and I said, listen, we can go ahead and finish this. And believe me, it would be a lot of fun because I'm great. Or... (laughs) You can get off me right now, and I won't have to tell the people down at The Tonight Show that the reason I'm late to work is because I was getting busy upstairs with McLean. And he gave it a moment, got off of me. He didn't even, like, open the door. I just had to go open the door myself. And I let myself out. You know, I had a little dignity. And I walked down the stairs, and then, like, I ran to The Tonight Show studio. And I went to the page lounge, and my friend Pete could see I was upset about something and he says what's going on I go well McLean made some moves on me and I, and I was trembling and goes oh he does that to all the girls he he asked Sandy Peterson out to dinner just the other night so suddenly I'm pissed off at Sandy Peterson <laughs> and I'm, thinking, I'm thinking what a what a mind trip all of this is because I'm jealous of a girl who a guy tried to rape me and it was like just really yeah. weird so in writing the book it kind of helped me process some of that stuff and also the the book is filled with stories of some of the other men and women I worked with and some of the men got hit on too it wasn't sure. just the girls so um, it was very cathartic and thank goodness for Zoom because this book wouldn't have been possible without 
having a pandemic. And the people that are my friends currently are people I've known for 40 years. But once Zoom happened, we could reach out to our friends who had left the page staff that we weren't in touch with anymore and start getting stories. In fact, there's a woman flying in Friday here to the desert, Linda Levinson. She's in the book, and she knew I'm doing the book signing at Barnes & Noble out in Palm Desert, and she's missed a couple in the L.A. area because she lives in South Carolina. She says, I'm coming to the one out in Palm Desert. Wow. So she's flying in just, just to come to that. That's great. So I better be interesting. <laughs> you have to be really funny now. I think you're going to yeah. be interesting. <laughs> uh, okay. Tell me how you two met, you and, and Randall. My hubby, Randall Carver, had adopted a dog that I was trying to find a home for. And I had said to him, we, we met several months later, and I'd said to him, if you ever need anyone to house it for you, let me know, because I love that dog. And his mother had been very ill in Texas, and he was going back and forth quite a bit. So I basically, not even dating Randy, was living in his house sometimes for months at a time. <laughs> taking care Squatter. of the <laughs> Well, and then I was like, poor Randy, this bathroom needs painting. So, you know, I like painted his bathroom once while he was gone. Could you move into my house for a while? <laughs> but um, the really weird woo-woo story about it is that um, Randy had did a guest appearance on a two-parter on the love boat where he actually got to go to Acapulco. Um, he played Lonnie Anderson's boyfriend, and then Lonnie dumps him for Rich Little. But eventually she comes back to her senses and goes back to Randy. I get it. I get it, Randy. Yeah. So I had been on a cruise on that same ship, and there was this one area I used to stand on on the ship, and I'm like, why am I thinking of Randy so much? I, I mean, a guy I'm house-sitting for. Why am I getting all of these urges and things like that and 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 he'd actually said while you're over there could you buy me a, a t-shirt in israel that says coca-cola in hebrew so he, i was trying to fulfill that mission and i just kept thinking about him and thinking about him so came back got him his shirt uh he wore it and then i said to him you know i bet you look cuter with it off than on and that's how we started dating and then I watched his Love Boat episode on a rerun, and the place where I was standing thinking about him is where he first sees Lonnie Anderson kissing oh, Rich Little. Oh, man. my goodness. Uh, that somehow, it, you know, yeah. it just happened, some sort of... Yeah, some yeah. woo-woo thing happened. Wow. And, and I know you've seen the book before, too, but there's another kind of full-circle occurrence that happens with this book. Um, I had started the story about... There's a story about Elvis Presley at the beginning of the book that I saw Elvis and went on a girl's trip and then went to London. And then it turns out that I met the guy on the plane that, long story, I met this guy that I had never, I had never met him, but he was on the same flight I was 47 years ago when a man died on the plane and he was trying to resuscitate him. And it was the weekend of Queen Elizabeth's funeral and we were talking and we realized we were there for the 25th Jubilee. We were on the same flight. We were watching Alfred Hitchcock's movie, Family Plot, when this guy dies on the plane, and the stewardess is asking if there's a doctor on board, and he was one of the doctors tending to the guy. So even, I'm still freaked out about all of yeah. this. It was the day I sent my book to the publisher, and I'm like, 
I have to stop the presses. I've got to add this to it. And I realized that, like, like my hero Harry Chapin talks about, all my life's a circle. And I had some trepidation about doing the book. And then I realized everything was going to be okay. And the publisher let me add the little epilogue to it. And, uh, and it's going to be good. It's all good. It is that. all good. I love that. It are, is, is another one coming out? Well, uh, if I get my, my, my dream to come true, um, I would like to try to develop this into a TV series. And that's where I'm going to put my efforts towards next because there's so many stories. You know, it's, it's people that are, you know, 20-somethings. And we didn't realize that we were um, politically correct when we were there. Um, we had, you know, white people, black people, Asian people, gay people, disabled people. We all worked together. And that together. was just Paul Lynn. <laughs> That's, that was <laughs> all of that. <laughs> but we were there, and we were a community, and we, we all have, to this day, we have each other's back. Um, the, uh, Christine Gallagher and Marilyn Mahoney are two of my page friends that live here in the desert. And when Linda comes in, we're all getting together to have dinner. Any of these people could call me up and say, hey, I need a something. Can you help me with a... And of course we will. It's like the fraternity or the sorority that... That's amazing. That you all hope you could be in someday. You know, that, that kind of vibe to it. Very cool. It's, it, it, I, well, you know, and if we could go back, we would do it all again. I can but play... More money. I can play Harry Anderson. He can play Chuck Barris on the no, TV no, show. No, no, I'm going to play Carson. Go ahead. Let me hear it. Wild, wacky. Doc is not here tonight. Where's Doc? Tommy. Tommy's with the orchestra. (laughs) I'm going to stop talking for three minutes, and I'll be Tommy Newsom. (laughs) Do you remember? I'll I'll, I'll set you up as Ed McMahon if you remember the, the, the answer to this, Karnak. Sisbuma. What is the sound a sheep makes when it explodes? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of the greatest lines in television ever. Sisbuma. <laughs> that is so cool. <laughs> You've been so much fun. This has really you been a blast. Shelly, thank you so much. You had to come back because I know there are lots and lots and lots of stories yet to tell. Oh, yeah. And we want to keep up on the because we are not kidding. We want to be in the TV series when it comes out. We're. Okay, I, I'm, I'm seeing a Ed and Doc right here. I mean, here. I do have some experience in television. You know, I've heard that. A, a little bit. And, and uh, I've watched television. And, and I, Randy watches a lot of TV. A lot. And I understand that you can host tree lighting ceremonies, too. Oh, like crazy. I got another one coming up this weekend. Oh. So. I can play Judith Chapman. You, <laughs> we'll just get Judith to play Judith. Thank you very well, much. All right, if you're going to go that way. <laughs> Shelly Herman, thank you so much. And go get Shelly's book. It's called My Peacock Tale, Secrets of an NBC Page. And she is a delight. The book is terrific. If you are of a generation that remembers the Carson show, uh, you're going to get lots of great stories that will take you right back to those great, really the golden era of television. I mean, truly, it was the best. And you tell some great stories about it. So much fun. Thank you, Shelly. Thank you, guys. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on this edition of Big Conversations Little Bar. We appreciate Mr. John McMullen and, of course, my co-host, Randy Florence. Thank you, guys. We'll be back with another edition soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Big Conversations Little Bar. 
Recorded on location at Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California, the center of the Coachella Valley universe. This program is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System. All episodes are available from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or from most major podcast portals, including Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Music